This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, Well, there's not a lot to say that sounds very good right now. Um, We have to talk about Afghanistan. We have to talk about failure. We have to talk about uh, a broken swamp, a a system of governing that is so uh, foolish and so uh, weak that literally tens of thousands of people will die. And, uh, well, we have a good program. We're going to talk with uh, Charles Spearing from Breitbart.com, Breitbart News, about what's gone on in Afghanistan. Breitbart has done phenomenal coverage on this uh, story. But we have to talk about the... um the problem in Afghanistan. And I would like to try to position this in a different way than you may uh, see. It's going to sound broader. It's going to sound more uh, uh, maybe 30,000 feet because the images are seared in our minds already. People are clinging to planes as they take off from Afghanistan and uh, a feckless president unable to find his way to a camera until a day and a half late. Um, all kinds of things. It's terrible. It's all terrible. But let me a pause and pull back and ask you to consider understanding what leadership looks like in particular when you understand the role of aspects of our lives together and this is what I want to say we have always had in this country from Washington on down to today a notion of what Phyllis Schlafly called termed coined military superiority And she hearkened back to some of the early writings of Washington, speeches he gave, which were published, in which he said you have to have a big enough uh, military, big enough army, he called it, to be able to fight and win. And people need to know it. People need to know it. So you see, we have, and what, what I mean by that is they have to know not only that you have the military, but you have the will to use it. And with Joe Biden, America, there's still no doubt that America has the greatest military capability in the world. We have the best uh, technology, we have the best uh, arsenal, we have the best training, we even have the best soldiers. What we don't have is the will to lead, the will to act, and the country, and the world knows it. The world feels it, which it, it, the, the reality is military superiority requires both aspects. Uh, consider it a doctrine, okay? You have to have a superior military in every way. And then you have to have the world know that you're willing to use it fearlessly without question or qualms or hesitation. And what you saw over the weekend, there's all kinds of failures that maybe, maybe, maybe someday we'll get to the bottom of it. The rotten bureaucracy in the Pentagon, probably more likely the rotten bureaucracy in the Pentagon, which is unable to confront the president of the United States, because it's so uh, caught up and so trapped by the woke culture and by careerism. But the reality is no one, they say now, they're probably just covering their tail. The intelligence community had had given indications of how bad this is going to be. That's not the reality. The reality is this. When Joe Biden came in as president, He assumed, in part because he wanted to contrast with Trump, he assumed a position of sort of meekness. Well, not even sort of, meekness. He was going to be the guy that was going to never be unpredictable. He was never going to be over the top. He was going to always be sort of uh, uh, going by the same 
set of norms and rules and habits that he'd done for 50 years in Washington. And that's what he did. So what happened was the world looked up and said, huh, when we had Trump in there, it was pretty clear if you messed with him, he was going to be like a cowboy. By the way, if it echoes, it should. They said the same thing about the Gipper, about Ronald Reagan. And actually, they said the same thing at George W. Bush after 9-11. They were like, holy cow, this guy is, uh, is, is unpredictable. And I think he was put in that position. I'm not sure George W. Bush would have been unpredictable if he hadn't had a wartime presidency or after a terrorist attack. But what Donald Trump was clear about was he'd make a deal with the worst dudes and he'd make sure that they lived up to it. Now, I have always thought that this was part of his strength was that he came out of Manhattan in the 1980s and 70s, 80s, 90s, where you had to make a deal. You didn't tell me that Manhattan didn't include lots of mafia, lots of union bosses, all that kind of stuff. And you had to make a deal with bad guys, not not bad, people that were going to be less than savory, and you had to know how to deal with them. So when Donald Trump got in, he said, I'm not going to fight with anybody. I'm not going to fight with anybody for fun. I'm going to ask Kim Jong-un to stand down. And he did. I'm going to ask President Xi to cut it out. And he didn't. And when he didn't, he got tough with him. And, and one after another, they take it to Syria. He bombed Syria because he said, you guys are messing around. And then he said, if you want to stop. Remember the Saudi Arabians executing one of their own people, Khashoggi, and the world said, oh, fight about it, fight about it. And what he said was, cut it out. He went to Jerusalem. He said, I'm moving the embassy to Jerusalem. And he said, don't mess with it. People knew that Trump would keep his word if you cut a deal. And if you didn't, he would be an, a maniac about it. And you, all you have to do is look at what happened. There was nobody in Afghanistan, it appears, that cared what Joe Biden or his military thought because they knew he wouldn't do anything about it. He set a deadline. He moved it. He moved it back. He, he said dumb things in a press conference. And then once they started to march, off they go. Now, we've all talked about this over and over again. I, I, I did not want the war to continue, so we had to get out. But how you get out matters, too. How you get out of the war matters too. And at this point, the all, it doesn't matter what the total truth of it was. What matters is Joe Biden looked feckless. He looked weak. He looked militarily in, inferior. He looked every way inferior. We didn't look like a nation that understood that the best way for peace is to be strong militarily superior, show the world that superiority, and then stay out of dumb stuff and honor what you've done. Now we had the worst of all worlds. Not only did we not do what we were supposed to with the people that helped us after 20 years, but the way we left put everybody in danger. It couldn't be worse. If you were trying to design a way to make America look bad, it couldn't be worse. That's what he just did. That's what Joe Biden just did. Again, I don't have any problem with getting out of Iraq. I don't have any problem that there was going to be problems. There would have been. What I have a problem is not understanding how fast this has happened, how ugly it's been, and having no real strength. Nobody fears Joe Biden. Can you imagine if they did what they're doing to Trump? Can you imagine? By now, he would have had the, they would have dropped the Moab on the, on the, on the, in the middle of the Taliban. They would have been droning everybody. I mean, I it's I mean it, it probably would have been, you know, 
it, it probably would have been a new kind of war, but Trump would have done it. Well, he just wouldn't have, he would have understood the process. He would have understood the principle. I don't know how long it will take for America to recover from this. I think we will, but I don't know if people understand this is not just a failure of intelligence. This is not just a mix up. This is a radical failure of leadership. If you want to lead in the world, you must be militarily superior. You must understand you have to be powerful, you have to be strong, and then you have to be willing. And the world has to know your willingness, not just somewhere in the back of your closet you might do something. You have to be willing to stand up. And Joe Biden, whether in his speech at the White House, finally, days later, or in his weird bunker where he was in Camp David, supposedly on vacation and and did a call, you know, with all these intelligence folks and by himself looked like he was barely, you know, paying attention or I don't know, it just looked terrible, terrible optics. Whoever's doing this in the White House is just ridiculous. And meanwhile, our now the next move that's happening in our liberal media and liberal uh, 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 leaders is we got to let tens of thousands, maybe 100,000 Afghan refugees in unvetted. Just let them in. We've seen this play out. Stand up, America. Stand up. We've got to stand up right now. We cannot wait any longer. This mess is endangering our republic now. Maybe it was before. We've got to stand up. All right, we've got to take a break right now. We'll come back, and uh, we've got some great guests, and we'll have more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com to find out more and follow all that we're doing. Be right back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Really grateful for my old friend Charlie Spearing, who's over at Breitbart News, to come on with us. You can follow him at Charlie Spearing uh, on Twitter. Uh, I tell you, Breitbart News has been all over the Afghans, uh, Afghanistan story all weekend long. It's, uh, it proved its usual value. Breitbart News. Go to Breitbart.com. Charlie, earlier today, uh, President uh, Biden spoke also uh, 16, 17 minutes where are we right now in this? I mean, it didn't seem like he was quite acknowledging the reality on the ground. We have images of of, of terrible tragedy. Uh, uh, you know what, what? What's your sense uh, right now with this White House? Yeah, President Biden, you know, really didn't address the situation at hand. He didn't address the shocking images that people were seeing on their televisions or on social media. He really just tried to narrow down the focus that the war in Afghanistan is unpopular and he stands squarely, you know, behind his decision to end it. So there, he did use the phrase, the buck stops here. But the thing is that he also spent time blaming the previous administration. And this is just a classic double speak that has come out of Washington and certainly Joe Biden's mouth for for decades since he's been in Washington. So I felt that, it, you know, he seemed to indicate a little bit of an emotional response, a little moralistic speech, but he really didn't address the questions that so many Americans have after watching the, just this overwhelming takeover take place. So again, we're uh, talking with uh, Charlie Spearing over at Breitbart News, Breitbart.com, at Charlie Spearing on Twitter. Uh, Charlie, what's over the weekend as you watched it all play out? I mean, it's probably worse than we're seeing. I mean, we're seeing a lot, but it's and it's so disorganized, uh, you know, so chaotic. 
is it, um, you know, even the president was, uh, somebody tweeted out from his uh, Camp David photos that showed intelligence officials that shouldn't have been on TV. The clocks were wrong. I mean, it almost became like a, 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 a self-fulfilling prophecy that Biden seemed clueless. But on the ground, do we have all our people out? Do we know if our people are out? I mean, in his speech, the president said, if you mess with our people, I'm going to be mad at you. So our people aren't out of Afghanistan. Yeah, our people are not out of Afghanistan, and there's still thousands more Americans still in Afghanistan. You know, even after all of these, all of this took place, the Taliban continues to encroach further towards the airport and endangering those American lives who are in Afghanistan. Um, you really didn't get the sense from his speech today that he was all that concerned about the future. He spent more time relitigating the past. And I think most Americans want to make sure that there's no uh, that we don't have an Iran hostage situation or or something similar coming up. We want to know that, you know, the president is taking this seriously and has a plan and has has uh, the intent. You know, this would have been a good time for Biden to use a little bit of his moralistic um, words as he addressed this situation. But that is clearly one of the highest priorities is to get all Americans out even though we have so many people talking about, you know, all getting all of uh, American allies in the region out. Number one should always be American first. Right. Uh, again, we're talking with Charlie Spearing. He's the White House correspondent for Breitbart News, at Charlie Spearing on Twitter. Uh, Breitbart.com is, uh, of course, Breitbart News. Charlie, you're in that room with the other folks in the White House uh, press corps. No matter how uh, silly they seem and Jen Psaki seems sometimes, you work with them every day. Right. So you have a certain rhythm with the people, you know, people are people. What are what are what are what are they feeling? I mean, at a certain point, the White House press corps must even the ones that were, you know, in the tank for for Biden, they must be unsettled by this. What's the tenor there? Yeah, absolutely. And and you can see a lot of this hap- taking place on social media. I think you had a, a little bit of a universal condemnation of the way the White House was handling the situation. Um and nothing makes a reporter more angry when you ignore all his phone calls and emails and you are left with nothing else to do but declare utter failure. And I think you saw a lot of reporters in that position today. You, you know, Jen Psaki's on vacation. The president himself didn't return to the White House until this afternoon. You can bet that, you know, all those staff are locked down. They're not responding to any emails. Um, and it wasn't until... Late Monday, did they finally cancel the president's vacation and send them back to the White House to address the press? So I think it was really hot there for the past 48, 72 hours. I think the, the Biden has never been criticized this much, but I think that maybe more journalists will be willing to get back into their lockstep praise um, unless, you know, this, this, in, this crisis takes a turn for the worse. And certainly there'll be more criticism in the coming days. Uh, we're talking again, Charlie Spearing is White House correspondent for Breitbart News, Breitbart.com and at Charlie Spearing on Twitter. Uh, who who does it look like is to blame or who are they going to blame? Is it the intelligence community? I know the White House floated that saying the intelligence community didn't tell them it would go this bad. I think there's already pushback from the intelligence community saying, yeah, we did. We told you it could be this bad. I, you know, the president of the United States seemed to blame the Afghan army uh, for not fighting hard enough. Uh, Where is this headed in terms of who's to blame? And, and uh, how does it how do you think it plays out within the Democrat Party? There's some people in that party that are, are watching this and thinking this is not this is not a helpful moment. 
yeah, it, it's really a tough situation. You really won't see that um, anything like that take place. Uh, it's really you're really going to see the Biden White House struggling and, and find trying to find someone to blame. You saw Marco Rubio push back against the idea, you know, that that somehow they were misled by the intelligence. The truth is, Biden was for weeks giving the most optimistic uh, appraisal of the situation. Even on Tuesday, he seemed to think that, you know, Afghanistan could still unite under under a new commander and push back against the Taliban. The truth is he, he was way overly optimistic, and, and it was classic Bidenism. He, he couldn't see the truth, and that's just so important for any leader facing these kinds of situations. Again, we're talking with Charlie Spearing and uh, Breitbart. I told you Breitbart News over the weekend was uh, on top. It seemed like every story they were getting it to at first or, or, or giving the context. Breitbart News over at Breitbart.com. What's next, Charlie? I mean, I think there's a Pentagon briefing or there was a Pentagon briefing. I mean, what's next? And do we, do, Charlie, do we really know what's going on on the ground? I mean, it's not exactly uh, most journalists are got, have gotten out or getting out if they can. Do we? Do we really know what's happening? Well, it looks like. Biden's going back to Camp David. <laughs> uh, this just came out from the White House. He's going back to Camp David to sort of finish out his vacation, whatever's left of it. He was scheduled to, you know, be there until Wednesday. So wow. He's, he's certainly, that's a very bold move for him, and he certainly doesn't let, he hates it when public events um, get in the way of his, you know, preferred time off. It's, it's something he got used to as a senator and certainly not giving it up as president. Wow. The, uh, that is, uh, that's pretty wild actually that, uh, that he is, uh, going back. Um, I did see over at, uh, on, uh, Breitbart.com, Breitbart news, uh, cash Patel commented and said, uh, the Afghans on fire is a guy that would know would knee deep in intelligence. Republicans are piling on now, but Democrats, pretty quiet in defending him. Are they stepping back and letting the president just deal with this one? Yeah, I think now that the president has spoken, you will see some Democrats step up to defend him. You know, using there was a list of talking points that went out were kind of cringy. That was really difficult. Um, you certainly saw Nancy Pelosi try to get out in front and, and lead the charge to defend the president. That was also really bad, just really bad tonal wise. Um, you know, begging the Taliban to take human rights seriously. I don't think that's anything that anyone expects that, you know, Nancy Pelosi will be able to convince the Taliban to be a a little more respectful of women's rights. And I think that came off a little tone deaf. So I think you'll see more Democrats, you know, try to focus on, on Biden's message where he really made it all about nation building and the unpopular nature of our presence in Afghanistan. But, yeah, I don't think you're going to see any Democrats defending the the way that Biden did this withdrawal. It was absolutely atrocious. And I think any politician is going to try to steer away from that. All right. Charlie Spearing, thank you for jumping out. I know there's a million things going on that you're covering. Uh, White House correspondent for Breitbart News at Charlie Spearing on Twitter. Breitbart.com is the website. Appreciate it very much, Charlie. Thank you. You bet. Anytime. All right. Uh, we'll take a break, everybody. And, and don't forget, go to Breitbart.com. Uh, Breitbart.com is the website. I just was over there. There's a million things going on and lots of uh, context for what we're talking about. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our next guest, I've had him on the show before, reti- retired Colonel John Mills. Uh, he His career was in national security, uh, Cold War stuff, uh, war on terror. He's probably got a great perspective on what's happening in the world right now. He was the former director of cybersecurity policy, strategy, and international affairs over at Department of DOD, Department of Defense. And he is now a civilian and has been uh, working not on looking back at what happened with the election elections, but looking, for, what can you do going forward? And he has a program he's developed called FOIA File Sue and Settle, FS Squared is how I see it. And uh, welcome, uh, Colonel Mills. How are you? Oh, thank you, Ed. It's an honor to be with you again. Thank you so much. Uh, you're welcome. So uh, first of all, uh, tell people what h- how you got here, what you're doing, and, and where they can find out more. Like uh, it's it, you you and I met I don't know months ago now, and I saw where you're headed, and I thought, boy, he's given a, putting tools in people's hands. So walk us through this. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Ed. Uh, as uh, I worked the uh, everylegalvote.com uh, project right after we saw trouble on the morning of November fourth. And uh, that was with Kevin Freeman of the Economic War Room. And I, and I, I worked with him, and we put together just a, a, a sterling effort to, to really educate, not to be partisan, but to educate on what was going on. And so we wanted to uh, uh, really uh, give people a process and a model, because what a lot of uh, Americans, and, and, and even now, they, they still don't understand Voting, unless, God forbid, H.R. 1 revives from the grave and comes at us like a zombie, uh, is a county event. American elections are based upon the county, the county, the county, the county. And we wanted to give citizens a repeatable model for how they can reassert, retake control of the county, because the citizens just assumed somebody was taking care of the voting process in our 3,000 plus counties and in about at least... 30 plus, yes, somebody else was taking care of it and didn't turn out well. And uh, again, we're talking with uh, a Colonel, a retired Colonel John Mills. And uh, so wh- where did you, what'd you come up with when you looked at it and said, okay, what's happening? I mean, one of the things I was really intrigued by are using your sort of career and saying, hey, how do you sort of move people to act when they say they're interested in making something happen? You got to put, you, you can't just say do it. You got to put some things in front of them that make it work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's so I've spent a career. Uh, I've, I've helped raise, uh, uh, organize, train, and equip six foreign national armies, militias, security forces, whatever you want to call them. It's a very basic repeatable model: organize, train, and equip. So we wanted to create the same model for the American citizen. We wanted to organize, train, and equip them to understand the basics and the mechanics of how uh, elections are run at the county. So we came up with FOIA, file, sue, and settle. A four-step process, three, three, three sub-steps in, in each, each step, and we wanted to give them a template. It's, it's not exactly the same in every county, uh, but we wanted to give them a basic template. The film is free if, if people watch this and, and they, they study it, they understand, and they want to get some personal coaching. That's something on the neia.us website they can uh, they can look through they list the, the film is for free they can look through it uh study it and uh then if they want to get some tailored uh, coaching and, and mentoring we can we can do that on the next steps but, so we just created this very simple model foia file sue and settle and uh you know foia is 
Freedom of Information Act. It's a federal act, but there's state equivalents uh, in, in every all right. 50 states. Right. Um, that's where uh, you, we're talking. That's where you really tell me that. Web, I want to. I want to interrupt you again, though. Tell me that website again. I don't. I, I'm looking in my notes. Say that website again, so people hear it. Oh, yeah. So it's neia. dot us, and that's the National Election Integrity Association and neia. Uh, November Echo India Alpha dot us. Okay. And uh, okay. we have the film there. Um, uh, we have a, tr- a beautiful trailer there that shows uh, the wonderful group that came together and their passion uh, for uh, for America. And uh, then it shows the film and uh, the, and the four steps. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, so each one of those really organized the citizen. FOIA is all about establishing information dominance. Uh, the second step is is taking that information and really assessing it, shaping the situation for action. The third step is sue, which is applying the decisive force on the right, right. target. Uh, well, we call right. it sue, right. as you, you, you know, you want to be, you know, sue is the last resort. But if you if you have successfully shaped the situation, uh, uh, often you can force remedy uh, with the, the powers that be without having to go to the to the formal legal uh, end state. And then settle is is getting that, uh, closing the deal, resetting and moving on. And it's getting that remedy. And this is so important. Follow through because I've seen groups actually win legal battles and then not follow through. So you got to follow through, make sure the remedy is enforced, uh, assess results to date, and then identify the next target and repeat the process. Uh, But uh, so. So, so, so there it is, a very repeatable, simple problem. Uh, we're done with con- uh, retired Colonel John Mills. Again, his expertise in his long career in national security and, uh, and uh, motivating people to move in action and organizing. Um, how do you feel, uh, Colonel, when you say, when you look out and see a lot of people say they want to do something, and then how do you get them from, you know, from talk to move you know and it feels like in some ways our culture is even more it's the wrong word sedentary that's a little bit that's sort of glib but i mean a lot of people oh they're they're yelling at their twitter feed they're throwing the remote at fox news channel and yet getting to move that's the that's the that's the that's the problem isn't it well it, it is and i and i look at this i look at this as a ministry i look at this as a training and education process and this is the price of freedom is not just our wonderful military overseas. And we're going through this horrible situation in Afghanistan right now. But if that's not the only price of freedom, the price of freedom is here at home. Americans, they, they have to be involved at the county process where and this model is also applicable to the county school board and other things that we're seeing. But we, we have to get off the couch. I know we're all busy. You have to apportion some time to get involved because we really learned a hard lesson that oftentimes we've assumed somebody trustworthy is taking care of things. They may be trustworthy, maybe not, but the reality is nobody's checking. In my own county, uh, I was able to force my election commissioner to resign. Not that I was trying to, 
But uh, <laughs> after, uh, uh, right. not that I was trying to, but I started to apply this model to her, and she actually came back at me in a very unprofessional manner. And it, and, it, and this is what stopped her dead in her tracks. Is I, I, I know this stuff inside and out. I have FOIAs. I've been on the sending and receiving end of literally hundreds of FOIAs at the federal level. And uh, so she was being very uncooperative with me at Prince William County, Virginia. And I just told her, uh, uh, Michelle, she's now resigned. I said, Michelle, here's, here's what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to I would like to have this conversation with you in front of a judge next week. <laughs> and so Tuesday or Wednesday, you just tell me what time is free. And I've already have a judge that uh, uh, I'm going to set up an office call with. And the three of us can have this same conversation in front of the judge. Now, two things happened after that. Within a, within a couple hours of that, one, the official FOIA officer for Prince William County, who knew what he was doing, he's a very good, 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 good professional civil servant for the county, uh, handed over everything that I asked for. Uh, second, huh. um, she, second, she resigned. Um, wow. So this is I, American citizen. This the county is the foundation of our incredible republic. Citizen, we must become involved. You cannot be a spectator. You cannot sit on the sideline. Everybody has to proactively get involved and hold their county officials responsible. They may be trustworthy. They may not. They may be trustworthy and yet not doing the right thing because nobody's ever asked the question before. Um, I just, I, it, 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 yeah, every citizen has to hold their citizen. Now, we, we ask everybody, we, when we go through this in the film and in the training process, be respectful. This is all about, we don't want to be angry, throwing all these wild, crazy accusations and throwing these hateful things uh, at, at our officials. Uh, you know, treat them nicely, treat them with respect. But you establish that relation, establish the, the through the FOIA, getting all the information, the filing, getting it ready for action, suing, going through uh, mediation, arbitration, all the way up to suing if you have to. But you would, if, if the citizen does this, it keeps the county officials on their, and the state officials on their toes. My state official, Chris Piper, when I call her email, uh, he's an appointee of the Democrat governor. This is a nonpartisan activity, and, a, and, a, and a, we are a nonprofit. Well, we are a C3, a nonprofit. Um, but um, when, Chris, when I call uh, or email Chris Piper, he is extremely responsive to any time I contact. That's because I've successfully conditioned him and the others uh, at the state level uh, that, that I know what I'm doing, and every other citizen can do this, too. Uh, we're talking again with uh, retired Colonel John Mills, uh, national security pro uh, in the Cold War and the War on Terror. And uh, again, the website is NEIA, NEIA dot US, NEIA stands for the National Election Integrity Association. If you go there, you can see what they're up to and see exactly, as he said, go through the video, see what's going on and find out more. Uh, I, I really think, especially one, one thing, uh, uh, Colonel, just to pile on. If you can get quality contact with an elected official or an appointed official, a public official that is not um, that is smart and thoughtful and planned out, you can move them a lot. If you're shrill and silly, they know how to deflect that. And so that's a real important detail you said. Uh, great, Colonel, I got to run, unfortunately. Retired Colonel John Mills. Again, the website, neia.us. That's the National Election Integrity Association, neia.us. Go there and check it all out. Thanks uh, for the time, sir. 
Thank, thank you, Ed. It's an honor. Really appreciate it. Take care. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. I'll put that up on social media again. Uh, as you're getting closer, you, you talk about elections. Uh, this is a really, I especially want to clarify, it's very important. He uses the word sue in there. That makes a lot of people nervous sometimes. He doesn't, as he said, uh, the colonel was saying, you know your, know your uh, legal avenues. Sue is the final, uh, the final uh, thing you might have to do. So, all right, we'll take a break, everybody. Be right back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The demands by Democrats for Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer to resign are not very flattering and perhaps not well received by the respected justice. He's penned a new book criticizing progressive ideas like packing the court with more justices. The book is entitled The Authority of the Court and the Peril of Politics. In it, Breyer rejects the notion that a judge should follow the agenda of the political party that appointed him. Instead, Breyer urges approaches analogous to what conservative justice Antonin Scalia supported. To the dismay of the radical left, Breyer says in his new book that, quote, I aim to make those whose reflexive instincts may favor significant structural or similar institutional changes, such as forms of court packing, Think long and hard before embodying those changes in law, end quote. While progressives want change, Breyer supports tradition. Adding fuel to the fire, Senator Mitch McConnell declared that he would block any Supreme Court nominee by Biden in 2024 if McConnell has the votes to do so. It's no wonder the left wants so desperately for Biden to replace Breyer. After all, the possibility of Trump filling Breyer's seat as he filled Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat is frightening to liberals. McConnell has twice burned Democrats with respect to vacancies on the Supreme Court. He blocked Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland, from being confirmed in 2016. And McConnell amazingly pushed through the replacement of Justice Ginsburg by Amy Coney Barrett on the eve of the 2020 election. Liberals do not want to be burned a third time. A reporter at The Raw Story named Matthew Chapman declared that, quote, Stephen Breyer has a responsibility to step down at the end of this term, end quote. Matthew Iglesias, who co-founded the liberal Vox website, tweeted that, quote, Justice Breyer is playing a reckless and irresponsible gamble with the future of hundreds of millions of people, end quote. Remember that the left would not gain a vote on the Supreme Court if Breyer resigns and is replaced by a Biden-promised black woman. At the end of the day, they are panicking just trying to get out of the corner Trump backed them into. Conservatives be warned, the corner Democrat is always the most fierce. Just ask Stephen Breyer. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Hey, I think this week we'll catch up with my old friend Mickey Kaus. Mickey Kaus, who is a Democrat, but he is a very good Democrat. Well, I'm not sure that's right. He's a good, he's a pretty good Democrat. And by that, I mean he's very critical of the idea of having un 
limited immigration, illegal immigration and others. He's also been very sharp on the impact of the unions. Uh, most of the unions, I think he would say, have been counterproductive. But anyway, he's also very interesting. He's just a very, very smart dude. And uh, I'm going to have him on, I think, later this week. But he, on Twitter, his Twitter feed is really good. And so one of his tweets uh, was... Uh, this week about just simply this. And I, some one of you actually uh, forwarded it to me. Here's what he wrote. So $835 in food stamps plus $300 per child tax credits equals a total of $17,220 a year for a family of four plus Medicaid plus maybe traditional welfare, TANF. At some point, he writes, this is Mickey Kaus, at Kaus Mickey, does the left and the hip Niskanen Center, which is a libertarian center, right, admit this is enough to make many not see work. This is one of the points that Mickey Kaus has been saying is that the welfare to work uh, changes that happened under Gingrich and Clinton when they forced it through, it made it so that people would look for work, they'd get work, their life would be better. And what's happened in the last uh, three months especially in the COVID bailout deal, was that you've set up a situation where, and you just add that up, you're getting almost $20,000 a year for a family of four, plus Medicaid, plus traditional welfare, plus other stuff, you know, the, the general welfare or general, you know, kindness of people. Everybody's got a phone and they get cheap phones. And I, The point here is, at what point do people start realizing, hey, it is significantly easier to not go to work? You don't have to worry about your commute. You don't have to worry about colleagues. You don't have to worry about getting dressed in the morning. You don't have to. Now, I'm being a little bit, um, I'm being a little bit glib. I'm being a little bit facetious. But I think you can see where we're going. And in particular, the Democrats made clear in the last COVID bill, the bailout bill, the one of the COVID, you know, massive spending boondoggles, that they would not allow a work requirement. Now, I do believe that it's only temporary. In other words, it will expire. So there was a work, there is a work requirement to get certain benefits. And, and currently in the COVID bailout, one of these recent ones, you, you don't have to look for work for a period of time and then it will expire. So it's not permanent, but it's in the list of things they want to make permanent. And again, you talk about the power of policy that goes through, you know, last week we talked about that article that highlighted that the IRS is the greatest, no, sorry, I use, keep doing that, the largest, not the greatest, the largest anti-poverty force in government. It's not Department uh, of Education. It's not Department of Health and Human Services. It's the IRS. The use of the tax code to subsidize behavior, and everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're helping people. No, people respond People respond to incentives. Human beings respond to incentives. And Mickey Kaus's point is, if you add up to close to $20,000 a year, by the way, let me be clear. I'm not saying it's a good life, right? I'm not saying that people should want this. I'm saying that people respond to incentives. And you have, if you have to get a hard job where it's hard to get, you know, from minimum wage, less minimum wage plus up higher, you have to work hard and be responsible and all that. Pretty clearly, if you don't even have to look for work, like Mickey Kaus outlines, it's going to be tempting for people. It's going to be create an incentive that is not helpful. Now, over the weekend, I was reviewing again the book, The Decline of Nations by uh, Joe, John Joe Johnston, uh, who's been on the program before. And, and I was reviewing his coverage of the, um, the, the, the fall of the British Empire. 
And one of the things he hones in on is that the, the people in Britain decided after the Industrial Revolution, they made a decision in terms of voting and all the rest, that they wanted more socialism, that they wanted to not incentivize entrepreneurs and the creative creation of wealth. And his point is, once you do that for a while, this is Joe Johnson in his book, The Decline of Nations, people start to adjust. The incentive is not to work, not to be productive, not to be creative, not to be entrepreneurial. And so goes the economy. So anyway, we'll have Mickey Kaus on. Thank you for that referral. Thank you for who forwarded that to me, one of the uh, listeners. All right, check it out at uh, ProAmericaReport.com. All that's going on. Thank you to Noah, our great producer, and thank you to Joanna for booking our guests. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.